Welcome to Make That Paper, the show where we talk about all the crazy jobs we do to make the cash we need to pursue our artistic dreams. And to buy apology gifts for our representatives because sometimes we can't help publicly embarrassing ourselves. That's true. On this episode, let's learn about the cartooning career, then get down to the jingle writing jam. And if we're lucky, we might find out about the outlaw life. We are your hosts, Jamie Parker Stickle. And Jason Bieber. And today we are talking to an award-winning commercial and short film director who was also the president of the Harvard Lampoon. His dark comedy short, The Call of Charlie, played at 88 festivals in 12 countries, earning 45 awards, including multiple wins for Best Director and Best Short. And his cartoons regularly appear in The American Bystander, which is required reading for, your, for the American nerd. I'm paraphrasing. We are such a fan of his work and of him as a person, and we are so excited to have him here. Please welcome to the show the phenomenal Nick Spooner. Yes! Fanfare. Hello. Pause for for applause. I'm sorry I'm underdressed. (laughs) I I was going to chastise you. I'm going to see but... I'm going to see how many people are watching this season cuz we had so many requests like tons of emails for us to to um uh, put it up on YouTube visually too cuz we were just audio up until this season. So this is perfect timing for you to be dressed up for this podcast. It is. Well, I'm so glad. I I got this uh I'm cribbing it from Paul Feig who always wears a suit on set, but he said it's more because he's able to walk into any hotel and take a crap without anyone <laughs> asking him a question. So there's that. <laughs> I love him. That's so good. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, that was really funny. Well, we're, I, off I have to... we're off to a great start. <laughs> we are. We're, I, listen, I, I, I didn't realize that uh, there was a, a barrier to crapping at hotels, but I'm going to take that into consideration next time I have to drop trial. But you're a New Yorker, so like you, you've never ever thought. I mean, you're a you're a Manhattanite. I should say that. So you just yeah. felt entitled. The moment I met you, you like had this air of entitlement about you. You walk into anywhere and do anything you want, and I was like, you can't do that. And you're like, watch me. Mm. I can. Mm-hmm. Wait, and you could. Did, Jason, did you go to uh, collegiate? I went to Buckley. That explains yeah. it. My brother <laughs> went to collegiate. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> We, we own this. We own this city. <laughs> this is our town. <laughs> For 500 years before it was a city, it was our city. <laughs> Who run Barter Town? <laughs> Build All the right. butcher answers to me. Listen, um, your dark comedy short, The Call of Charlie, has sat with me all night. I had dreams about it last night. Oh, good. It worked. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. First it's deeply of all, insidious. I'm just. <laughs> I know. Cast of actors. She makes it so easy to edit this. Yeah. <laughs> I can't stop laughing because Jason was watching it first, and then I. It was one of those things where I was on the opposite side. I was working on someone else's script, and I was like, "What? What are we watching?" And I had to like crawl over, and I was like, "What's happening? This is not right right now." <laughs> It was. I felt like Mystery Science Theater 3000. I had so much commentary during this film that I was like, that is the most successful film I have ever watched in the past five years. Because I I couldn't stop talking through it. (laughs) To me, that is like, when you're questioning everything, that's success. 
Well, like, why was this film made? <laughs> Who paid for this? Those actors are some of my favorites. Like, I was like, wow. Okay, first of mm-hmm. all, though, did they sacrifice her in the end? Like, what's happening? Yeah, that was okay. the idea. Okay. That was the general idea is that she was the willing participant in, uh, and and gleefully just stepping in as as tonight's sacrifice. Yeah, it was, well, it it started because I had a, uh, I had a new rep. We have reps in commercial advertising. And this person said, well, you're not a uh, real director unless you have a short film. So I said, be right back. And, uh, you know, like, 14 months later I came back I'm like here you go and wow but it was so weird and dark and off that it actually was useless in terms of getting commercial work unless it you know stars a creature um but it was my first short it was my first foray into festivals it did way better than I imagined it would uh but it didn't exactly lead to that three picture deal Right. Um, you know, uh, but it was worthwhile. It was a great time. I was lucky to get uh, Brooke Smith. I went to uh, high school with her brother, so I conned her into taking a role. There and you go. Uh, Evan Arnold, uh, whom I knew from the casting circuit in Los Angeles, I saw him in the final episode of Mad Men, and he has a soliloquy in it. And I was like, oh my God, he's the guy to deliver this long bit at the end. Uh, and he is hilarious and bizarre. Uh, but it was an excellent cast. Yeah. It nearly killed me. It was two days, like 140 setups, two cameras, special effects, makeup, and the but the 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 best part that didn't happen was Brooke. I thought it would be hilarious if we had a celebrity play the monster, because the Cthulhu character was always. The I was going to say, is it is it Lovecraft? Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's, yes. It's, it's it is a love based on uh, the Call of Cthulhu, which is a famous Lovecraft bit uh, short story. And I tried everybody. I wrote letters and got no's from everyone, from Ryan Reynolds to Jake Yulenhall to uh, Jim Carrey. I actually wrote a very nice no, thank you. Wow. Uh, you know, I it was a long list of people. Uh, Michael Richards, I thought. <laughs> uh, would be great because we wouldn't know it was Michael Richards. Um, but the best part was uh, Brooke actually is friends with Marilyn Manson. And I have an email from Marilyn saying, I'm in. And then about a week before the shoot, Marilyn just went MIA, oh. which was probably just as well. Yeah. But I thought it would have been hilarious if you just did the whole show. And then in the credits at the very end, it was like, and, and Marilyn Manson is Charles. Yeah. Like, you don't even have to show up to set. We just want you to say, okay, so we can put your name in the credits. It was me. Yeah. I even (laughs) hollowed out the nostrils. But (laughs) as part of the rider, I was anticipating. It looked looked deeply uncomfortable. (laughs) It was like a torture device. I put it on my head and I was like, Jesus, get it off me immediately. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Get Marilyn Manson in here. Who did we, what, what? Who did were we talking to? Oh, John Lear. So we had John Lear on the show a couple of weeks ago, and um, he was the caveman in the Geico commercials. Yep. And yep. he was talking about like how much torture it is to be in prosthetics and to have all of that makeup on, and and he he can do it pretty well. 
But there are actors, yeah, that he said that they just freak out after, you know, 30 minutes. They're like, get it off me. Get it off me now. It's it's too much. Yeah. My friend Sven Holmberg stepped in and he was such a good sport, but it was hard on him for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Still mad at me. Yeah. <laughs> it's never going to be in anything you do again, even no. if it is a three picture deal. Um, I one one geeky question though about the the functional prosthetics when the eyes are blinking that's always in close up so no one was wearing the suit for that that was a separate thing right I'm glad you asked um, I am a <laughs> huge fan of in camera practical effects uh, when I was a kid I thought I was going to work um, you know for um, you know like Smith or Savini or one of the one of the great prosthetic makers it's what I wanted to do and I loved horror. Um, so no, we have the, um, someplace in my office, I have the, the, we had a practical mask and arm pieces and the mask, the, had a bib that came all the way down the chest and down the back. So it was really great. Uh, I designed it and I had these guys custom make it. Um, but then when, after we shot, I went to a friend of mine in Australia who does special effects, visual effects. And I said, just add an occasional blink. And uh, people okay. think the entire thing is CG, just oh. for an occasional alligator eye, shark eye sort of. Yeah. God. Okay. So it's, so the the blinking is not a practical effect. Nope. Just just simple little eyelid shutting, but it sells it in a way that made it um, really unsettling and you know. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. So I I loved that tiny little touch went a long way. Yeah, it did. Hmm. Well, Nick, yeah. before <laughs> let me Luckily. let me get into I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna drill down now. Before <laughs> you were you were making award-winning short films that um, leave us unable to sleep, and before you were directing commercials, um, you know you you were having to make some paper doing other things, and some of the things you told us about, you said you were you were doing cartooning. Cartooning was paying your bills. Uh, how long? When you know? When did you start that? How did you get into cartooning? Are you illustrating and writing the cartoon? Yeah, almost all the time. Sometimes friends will suggest an idea or a caption or something, um, and we'll work on that. Uh, but usually, yeah, it's me walking around for an hour outside, saying, "Oh, you know, a snail falls in love with a tape dispenser." You know, um, even though that's <laughs> that's not me. That's Sam Gross. Um, but it was actually never a side hustle. I, I, um, in college, I was part of this thing called the Lampoon, which yeah. was something I wanted to do from the time I was uh, in fifth grade. I read a book called The uh, Board of the Rings by uh, Beard and Kenny, who were the hard Lampoon guys who graduated and, found, and founded the National Lampoon. And so in fifth grade, I actually got sent to the principal's office because I was reading this book. Wow. And I was like, so comedy can be dangerous. And um, <laughs> it sure can. So years later, I actually uh, eventually uh, got into uh, that college. And um, fall of freshman year, uh, I was um, admitted to the Lampoon as a cartoonist. So um, I did that for the five years I was an undergraduate. Um, and then I really didn't do it again. I did storyboards. I've storyboarded every project, live action project I've ever done. Wow. 
because I'm a control freak and why waste money that can go to the art department or some nice vintage glass or something. And, um, and I was kind of too intimidated and not confident in my cartooning style. And then about five years ago, um, this magazine called the American Bystander began with a lot of alum from National Lampoon, uh, which is no longer a thing. Mm-hmm. And I submitted a cartoon, which was actually a Cthulhu joke. Uh, publisher loved it. We became friends and I've been contributing pretty regularly ever since. And now I am a featured cartoonist. Wow. I'm, a, I'm to understand. So as far as a side hustle goes, um, it is not lucrative. <laughs> okay. It's All right. an project. Unless I'm able to churn out a thousand of them a year, which right, is right. a possibility. Um, but it's, it's a huge rush for me and a, and a honor to run alongside some of my cartoonist heroes like Sam Gross, George Booth, who just passed away, uh, Roz mm-hmm. Chast, M.K. Brown. I mean, all oh, wow. of these amazing yeah. cartoonists, plus um, top humorists from Spy, head showrunners from Letterman, you know, all of these, you know, uh, uh, members of Monty Python. It's really an amazing forum for American humorists. And so to be included in that bunch at like a hundred bucks a pop uh, <laughs> makes me feel pretty good. Yeah. And it keeps my pencil sharp in between shoots. Literally yeah. and figuratively. Exactly. So let's talk for a second. I want to ask you about that because you have done, your national commercials are like major crazy. You are the guy. And you talk about horror and you, you know, enjoy horror. So was your idea that you'd come out and be a film director and you ended up in commercial directing or how did that transpire for you? Um, well, I'd been on the set in one way or another since I was a little kid. I acted in commercials um, wow. locally. You know, I was like fat kid number two at the Thanksgiving table <laughs> stop and shop. And um, I took a year and a half off before college to work in uh, on the set for a production company in Boston doing local commercials, uh, rock videos. You uh, kids on the block videos? <laughs> yes. I'm just asking. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. <laughs> exactly. And... Um, <laughs> The right uh, stuff. Feel it, feel it. I'm just saying. New edition. Vibration. Wow. Yeah. And um, studied film and animation in college. Uh, got out of college and I was like, forgot to focus on something. Oh, shit. Moved to LA thinking I would be an animator for Ren and Stimpy. Wow. Yeah. And they were like, no. Wow. <laughs> you are nowhere near good enough to even be a storyboard artist for us. So mm-hmm. Ogilvy and Mather advertising was walkable from my house. 10 minutes from my house near Little Brea Tar Pits. And I walked in and I said, I think I can do this. And they go, uh, how does uh, 23,000 a year sound? And I'm like, amazing. <laughs> With benefits, I'm sure. Eventually. Eventually. Uh, but I had an amazing uh, partner and I got into it there. Uh, transferred to the office in New York. That will come back later as relevant. Uh, got a position at Comedy Central kind of doing this. And I just started writing and directing stuff for them right away because it was like, they let you do anything you wanted there. It was still a very young network at the time yeah, with no real rules. And I said, here, I wrote an image campaign and they go, great, here's some money, go make it. And that's really how it started. Wow. Yeah. 
We had Guy Nicolucci on the show, who was uh, one of the two original creators of The Daily Show. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he was telling us, like, you know, in the early onset, Comedy Central was just like carte blanche. They didn't know. They didn't know what they, you know, they just knew make it funny and make it cheap. Yeah. Writer. And, um, yeah. And then to winning Emmys for, you know, writing some of the smartest uh, bits on on television um which is just like what a great time to like get in you know like when things are starting up like that it's such a great amazing experience it was the last yeah last office job i ever held but it was the best because really they just let you do whatever it was such a great place and doug herzog was the president when i was there and uh he was one of the guys responsible for making south park happen which really defined the network and um Mm -hmm. yeah it was an amazing time to be there that's great. So would you say, just jumping back to Ogilvy and advertising at large, you got into advertising uh, not as a goal, but just basically out of proximity to your house? Uh, yeah. <laughs> like if there was a stop and shop even closer, you could be the gro- the grocery king right now. Yeah. Having had the foresight to go through, uh, you know, a great college without any sort of just gonna plan. Say, yeah. yeah. I yeah. would say Harvard probably steers you to go stop and shop Ogilvy, go left, right? Like they probably yeah. give you a little bit of education on which direction to go. Well, I knew it was going to be film, but yeah. I wasn't quite sure how to get there. And I'm really glad I spent the time I did in advertising because now um, I really under, I better understand what it is we're all trying to do and what it is um, the people with whom I'm working have worked really hard to get. You know, they can work for six months to get a 15 second commercial to production. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I I worked for Nestle for seven years in marketing. I was in packaging. But, you know, as a creative, I as a writer and an actor, I feel like that gave me so much information on what's going on in this industry. Like, yeah, being on set is great and understanding everybody's roles and what, you know, what we're trying to accomplish here in, in hours and saving money and whatever. But the marketing aspect of things, you just don't know until you have a marketing degree or you've worked in marketing or, you know, for a corporation behind the scenes for a while to understand actually what money's going towards and why. Um, I guess that's uh, theory. Is that theory? Is that like film theory? Just kidding. Let's keep going. It counts. <laughs> just a little. It's theoretical. It's adjacent. It's Entertainment adjacent. theory. Sure. Um, it's a little adjacent. Um, no, but I agree, like working for uh, big companies like that really do um, help you understand better what's happening. Mm. Um, well, for me, it really made me understand I don't want to be in an office. Yeah, same here. But now I'm in a classroom and I love it. Yeah, well, that's that's very different. It's very different. It's really fun. Okay, so next question. Jason, I see you oh. chomping at the bit. You're like this. Oh. No, I'm just making faces over here. Uh, <laughs> just trying to make me break. Yeah. I, no, I just want you guys me. to think I'm listening. Well, he makes faces mm. at me when I'm talking too much or saying something. Like He's like, no, d- 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 uh, Jamie's shh. And so I, I can We used go. to record in the same room sitting next to each other, and I could just hit her under the yeah, table. Yeah, just hit me. But that's you know, bad audio. Now. Recipe for disaster. <laughs> so now, it's all here. 
Only I knew a director who would hold two long sticks for camera A and camera B on live television, and he'd be like, "Hit a camera A," and then he'd hit camera B. You know. I think that's effective. <laughs> when you were shooting on film, yeah, that was a while ago. It's effective. Yeah. Um, did you ever shoot on film? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, um, I have been around for a bit. Um, I mean, you look very young, so I don't know where you, you know, what I know you, I, I know you have an 18 year old now, but I mean, you could have had an 18 year old when you were 16. I'm just yeah. saying, I don't and know man. where you started. Yeah. I don't know where you started. We're not going to push you for that. <laughs> I'm not going to push share? you for that, but you did shoot it's on fine. film. I did. Uh, yeah. And I was, um, I shot on film. I did, uh, you know, an animated film project when I was in college. I think it was the first mm -hmm. animation thesis uh, at my school. Um, we need a copy. Oh, no, you do. <laughs> and uh, I'm doing a new one that I'll send you when we're finished. Okay, um, good, 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 good. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, I always say uh, I'm snobby about, you know, uh, people who have never worked on an Oxbury or don't know how to tell the emulsion side of a, of a work print. Mm -hmm. But um, what it did do was uh, that experience, and it was a little bit of a rough transition moving into HD, and I did some of the 100%. first big HD shoots. Uh, but... Um, what it did teach you was to treat the medium uh, with a certain amount of respect. You know, nowadays there are people that just roll and roll and roll and roll and roll, which makes it hell in post for the poor yep. editor. Um, yeah. and some agencies or clients like to shoot on 5K for some reason, because I guess they think it's going to be projected on the moon. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, oh, note to self, project <laughs> Super Bowl spot. Uh, on the moon oh my anyway, god he's so smart uh, yeah. you're so, so smart but you gotta you gotta you gotta do it in a yeah, yeah. In the house. no so um the super but it, bowl it has just, to be on the right yeah. well I, I like to have a low ratio i i like to say you know uh action and, and cut or have my first say say that um but uh i do like to treat it the medium with respect still you know and and if you're rolling and rolling and rolling, you're kind of just capturing improv. You Which know? there's room for, but uh, like after you've got what you need. What I you will need like a series for actors because it keeps, when you say cut, they can get out of their head or get out of a good place. And that was actually something I also learned from Paul Feig uh, and Judd Apatow. I did, I worked on the, the network promotion for NBC to promote Freaks and Geeks. Oh, wow. Nice. That's so great. Yeah. And uh, they had obviously some, I mean, from Jason Siegel uh, to uh, he whose name we do not speak uh, to, uh, I mean, everybody on that cast has turned into an excellent uh, known actor. Yeah. Um, but they liked to do series where they got their actor into a groove and rather than yell cut, they would just shout out, and they were all writers, so they would just shout out alternate lines to just keep it fresh. Mm -hmm. uh, the actor didn't have to think about it. They just did it. And I'm not saying line reading people either. I'm saying just calling out suggestions while they're fresh, and then yeah. after a two-minute series, you got it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that's, I, I appreciate that. Like, I think that's great. I love, I love hearing that. I love that that's happening. That happened. I mean, that's the show that, like, sort of – I, I was their age, and so it, the, I was watching it, it being defined in that moment. Like that's what I want to do. Yeah, it's so mm -hmm. great. And you did that on on the AT and C spot that uh, 
that I was in that where we met. Um, right. And I, I, I mean, we I. It's funny because not funny, but I, I was there with Claudia Wallace and uh, Rodney and uh, and Rod. Well, I didn't know Rodney. That's that the so. Do, good. do you know? Do you know how this? Did you? You didn't listen. We had Rodney on this podcast. We had never met him before. He was Rodney cast Hobbs. by someone else who was yeah. producing for us for a, a special month. And yeah, Jason realized and Rodney realized halfway through the show. Oh my God, we did a commercial together with Nick Spooner. Like they yeah. were both like, oh my God, that was you. Yeah, the yes. Nick Spooner players. Shut up, Rodney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shut up, Rodney. So that was the line. Yeah, I love working um, that. The cinematographer on that, Jim Frona, is currently doing this great new show on Apple Plus called um, uh, Shrinking. We love shrinking. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah, Jim is a beautiful guy and he is a great cinematographer. Did you ever work as a cinematographer or have you always been the director? I don't know how, when I hear uh, director slash cameraman, I'm like, how the hell do you do that? That's, I know I, I would, I could only focus on one thing at a time, but I'm yeah. probably pretty seriously undiagnosed ADD. That's uh, so why I can only do 30 second attention span things at a time. Um, <laughs> uh, what was the question? The perfect, perfect <laughs> answer. Did you ever work behind the, were you ever ah. a cinematographer? Did you ever do DP? I uh, mean, not DP, but you know, behind the camera. I did. I did a little bit during my days, uh, during my year and a half off working in production. I worked in every department, and they were so great. They would be yeah. like, "Hey kid, you want to learn how to load today, or you know, you want to be on second camera?" Um, and uh, so, I have done a little bit of it, but especially because of doing comedy, there's a lot of writing and rewriting and improv yep. involved. I just, I, my focus has to be with you all. Yes, yeah. Alan. Yeah, hundred percent. Um. When you were working, when you took the year and a half off and you were, were you union? Were you working non-union gigs and um, were they paying you? Like, how did that work for you? How did you yeah. get that? Um, it was my little league coach. <laughs> it, was, it, it was his place. It was a, like a side hustle of his that turned into one of the biggest commercial production places in Boston. Oh my God. Yeah. And they had a lot of in-house talent, uh, in-house crew. Uh, one of their guys who is a cinematographer is um, a uh, Danny Stoloff is a huge cinematographer. He works on the boys a lot now. Um, so it was some really great talent. And again, another opportunity to kind of just do whatever you want, make mistakes. It was non-union, but Boston was not, in terms of film, was not like a heavy union town at the time. Right. Yeah. So it's not like we were getting, you know, our shoots flipped and stuff right. like that. It just was, it was the wild west. So you, you've got kind of this, I'm going to call this a magical career because you have all these things that you've, that you've done. I mean, even the side hustles aren't side hustles. They're dream jobs. Yeah, um, you're just a regular Boston, new kid on the block type. Yeah. Like everything happens because. You're the, you're the sixth Wahlberg. You're I get super it. smart. You're super talented. Good looking guy. You just walked in and you were like, I belong here. I'm in a suit. Like it just happened for you, right? Like. Where can I take smooth. a crap? We're going to take a crap. Is it on this set? I'll just jump in. I'll jump well, in. Is this a working her. toilet? Is this, <laughs> no. I've been really lucky in that. <clears throat> all of the random stuff I loved doing that had nothing to do with school or advancing myself. I just loved doing it. 
Um, All kind of only makes sense in what I'm doing and is all relevant, anything I've done. I mean, even, you know, me doing sculpture, I've made sort of miniature matte uh, sculptures, uh, you know, in the hotel room before a shoot because I thought it'd be cool if there was a smoking volcano behind the cavemen kind of thing. Um, So all of my random interests only really make sense uh, on the set. And only at all make interest. Yeah. So even the even the side hustles that I do are not really side hustles because they act in service of plan A. And so I always like to say, if a side hustle is sort of a plan B at times, it sort of detracts for me from plan A. So everything I do kind of needs to work. Well, not necessarily, but it is nice that um, I, I get rewarded for uh, all of my random interests and, yeah. and making stuff. And it all kind of makes sense in one place. I agree with that. And that's what I love is it's, if you really have a passion for this business, one, you should be watching TV and film all the time and commercials, especially Super Bowl commercials. Cause they're like little films. Mm-hmm. And then like everything you do should be in service to that. I think it's a, I agree. Like don't stop hobbying or do stopping things you love doing. Like how does it fit into the world that you've built for yourself creatively? Right. I mean, I love that. I love that. Well, I think anything can be. Yeah. Anything anything can feed the muse. Yeah. Um, As long as you're not rationalizing, you know, doing something that you actually truly hate saying, Oh, this will, this will pay off creatively. Mm -hmm. Even if, even if your creative response is sort of a uh, an fu to whatever it is you hated doing, um, for me, I like that it annoys my siblings that I don't have to go to a re- I don't have to have a real job, you know. Oh my my siblings are super supportive, but also every time I like have a job, they're like, I don't understand what you do. Where does the money come from? Where? Oh, why, yeah. <laughs> how can you clothe yourself? I mean, they're constantly like, I don't understand what you do. I Mom, get paid every three years, but I get paid a lot. Yeah. No, relatives not understanding what it is we do. My mom used to go to the, you know, my mom and dad would go to the movies and they'd wait for the credits. And for some reason, when the when the uh, the job best boy would come up, they'd be like, that's our best. That's what our stuff. <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> that's boy. He's the best. He's the best. That's not that's not what I do. Okay. So um, that's not, that's plan D. <laughs> <laughs> They're like Hercules. Yeah, that's my favorite scene in that movie. Yeah, I don't know. Scene. I can't. Um okay, so you like horror though, and I want to keep coming back because um your short film is so great and you made it for a particular reason. When are you gonna make horror? When are you gonna do this dark when, when Pepsi feature. jumps the, sh- the 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 shark and just decides to scare the pants off us, or you know, when those guys want to make uh, sponsor a horror film, I'm good to go. Uh, we do have um, me and uh, some of the people from Charlie, uh, me and the writers from Charlie, the writers of Charlie and I have uh, a great script. I think a great feature. It doesn't exactly fit the Blumhouse model because more and more it's sort of like you know, two people in a Zoom chat. And then it's like, oh, like something scary. Um, Which I actually, I enjoy. I think it's been great because a lot of horror movies have come out. uh, You just have to kind of write with production budget in mind. Um, You know, I I think eventually, I don't think um, 
I think maybe in a couple of years, we're going to start to lean more heavily into that. Uh, that we're doing a, awesome. We're doing a, 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 a sort of follow up to Charlie in that it's Lovecraftian. Uh huh. Um, but it's a uh, a short animated uh, <laughs> uh, comedy piece with horror elements. That's great. Yeah. And so uh, it's just animation takes a lot of time. So we're packing up. We're yeah. seven months into it. Um, I'm just redoing storyboards. I'm just working <gasps> on reshuffling the shooting boards right now. That's awesome. Um, Those are great. Well, that's 2D. These are going to be 3D. Um, it's going to be like stop motion animation, like, uh, you know, Nightmare Before Christmas sort of stuff. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. But, but uh, California you know, practical or digital? Um, well, it'll be stop motion animation. Uh, I mean, it will be shot digitally, but it will it will feel. I I, I didn't mean digital. I meant like see like um, what's it? Lego is you know a CG version of stop motion, but it's CG. No, this is these are puppets that are being molded and made right now. Um, wow. That's this, that's what Brian Asman does too. So I have a we have a good friend that is a horror writer. And he just did um, a horror short film, which has been picked up for something, I think, by Amazon. But, um, yeah, it took a long time working with uh, an artist. I mean, that – it's so crazy to me how long it takes for things to get made. Even just a book, publishing a book traditionally takes years. I mean, it's not – it doesn't – nothing happens overnight. There's so much, you know – I know TikTok is instantaneous and I'm trying to teach my students like, but that's not, you know, those are 15 second snippets of nothing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, you yeah. know, real, real projects, real creativity takes time to finesse and build. And um, it's so great. And also, do you read? Do you know how to read? You went to Harvard. We read good. Hard. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I do read. I do, do you read, read horror? Do you, are you familiar with Stephen Graham Jones? My heart is a chainsaw. <gasps> I, ha I have not read that. You would love it. It's so good. Mm -hmm. Stephen Graham Jones is like, yeah, even um, Stephen King's obsessed with Stephen Graham Jones. And he was on our show and they, he's just had one of his books picked up too. And I just see you like in this horror thing after watching Charlie, I'm just like, oh my God. Jamie's Which trying to make a deal right now. I know. Which brings me to my next question. <laughs> Do you think of all your commercial work, he's going to say no, but I'm going to force this anyways. As a side hustle to want to the feature film part of your career? No. I knew you'd say no. I knew no, say no, I don't. Um, <clears throat> you know, these little sort of film haikus that we make. Yeah. I love, I love solving a puzzle. I love working with a team of people. I mean, I came up on the set and there's just something that, and this is sad for a father to, uh, you know, lovely children to say, but I'm only happiest when i'm on the set um mm. i love and i love just the world that has been created uh that i get to be a part of work with the people with whom i get to work uh shoot in the places i've gotten to travel to um and it's all over the world uh and the beauty is is that no matter where you are whether you're in bangkok you know or chile it's they all speak the same language they all yeah. speak the same language of film and everybody has a role and it's this sort of, you know, it's this benevolent dictatorship that works 
really well. Um, so I do love it. I'm in, I, I would love to do a feature just because I think that these are, we have some good stories that are worth telling. Yeah. And it would be a blast, but you know, there's nothing beats a, a two, three week turnaround and then you're on to the next thing. You could yeah. toil on a good idea for two years and then have your movie suck. Yeah. And then you're like, well, now I've also lost relevance in the commercial realm and I'm doomed. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. would love a shot to do it, but I still have some commercials to make. Yeah, I love that. I think that's awesome. Um, and there's nothing, you know, aside from commercials and everyone I know who is a regular actor in commercials, you know, it's their bread and butter and they love it so much. Um, but also they always say that sitcoms the best job to get to because you go home at the end of the week, like your work days are normal eight hour days and then you get to go home and you know, you have your family time and your weekends. So, um, mm -hmm. it makes a lot of sense that commercials, you know, would give you that same, um, that same feeling. For sure. Yeah. And I get I get very homesick. I yeah. really I get on the plane to go shoot a job and at one hand I'm sort of elated and pumped for the project ahead. Yeah. And at the same time I'm like, hmm. This is your apology to your children. Yeah. Is, yeah. Meanwhile I'm like Yeah. The time the time when the only time I'm ever happy, I do miss my family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh I want to ask you about, I'm going to, I'm going to take us in another direction for a minute, because one of the jobs you said you've done, um, and this is a facet of your, of you, I didn't, I wasn't aware of, uh, as a musician, as a songwriter, you wrote jingles mm, mm, mm. and yeah, I got to know, I got to mm. know, like what, what, what are some of the jingles you've written? Yeah. Well, that's, that's more recently. I, uh, when I lived in New York, there were so many venues to play uh, if you were in a band that you could point at three friends and say, we're a band and rehearse for like, you know, get a three song demo tape and then you could start playing. And I did that with some really good friends, um, uh, you know, with reasonable success. It was a great way to be young living in New York and, uh, you know, know everybody downtown, know the bouncers at every club, you know, that was a, a lot of fun. And I wrote a lot of music. Um, and then music has always been an important part of the commercials I make um, when I can have it in, you know, you know, when it's relevant. And then uh, about four years ago, um, there was a there's a national campaign, uh, Bob's Discount Furniture. And they were kind of a local New England thing for a long time. And now they're national and their ads were like, oh, it's OK, you know. And all of a sudden one day I was like, oh, my God, I just saw Bob's commercial. The animation was awesome. It had a concept, it was pretty funny, you know, for what it was, and it was stop motion animation. I'm like, who's doing it? And it was Barton F. Graff, Jerry Graff's company, which was a boutique agency that did amazing work. And so I got in on, right after they were closing, they were doing the work for Bob's, they were closing and I did a shoot for them. And uh, the creative director in-house there at Bob's was like, hey, you know, you're kind of demented, uh, do you think you could do kind of what the Barton F. Graff people said? And I said, you know, I'll give it a shot. And the first thing I did was for their Baba Vedic mattress campaign, I wrote a 90 second, it was almost like a mini opera uh, jingle about the mattresses that was then animated. That was tremendously complicated, but uh, it, 
it drove people crazy. They get letters all the time. It's like, <laughs> help, I can't stop singing the jingle. And I did a bunch for them and I've, I've worked on some for some other accounts. I don't read music, but I have um, what we, my group of friends here where I live now, I call the Baba Pete at five. And uh, we will get together and work. I'll hum, I said, this is how I, I kind of want it to go and I'll hum the notes and everything. And then we'll bring in different musical instruments and players and uh, and singers. Wow. And like that. So it happened very organically. Um, and I love a good jingle. I think there isn't there is no more effective a tool for uh, you know advertising that stays with you than a good jingle. And eighties and nineties sitcoms. Um, yeah, exactly. Like why don't we have um, what um, what is it called? The opening of like growing yet. pains. <laughs> what did theme Alan Thicke do? Theme, theme songs. We don't have like theme songs anymore. <laughs> I love a good theme song. Yeah. It stopped in like the the two thousands. Yeah, and and I I mean I guess some people think it's old fashioned, but um, you know I I love it when it works. And if it's one it's of those great brand I did a radio campaign for Bob's um as well, and it was all. A take on uh, funiculi funicula, <laughs> and uh, and awesome. people again, you know, they're phony, and it's like I'm stuck in traffic here in Boston, and it's like <laughs> fucking song, you know. <laughs> you awesome. know? So That's um, awesome. yeah, so I I mean I love doing it. You know, comedy has a certain rhythm to it. I always kind of think in terms of music. Um, uh, and so being able to actually write those jingles, you know, I'm like, I'm happy to do it. And you're paying me an actual money. So that works too. And, it's yeah. great. Yeah. It's like Absolutely. when you do things you love, you know, I have to like hold myself back from saying I would do it for free. <laughs> because yeah, don't like, ever say that. Don't ever yeah. say that. Don't give it away. Um, it's really funny. Um, We've given so much away. Is it, mm. What? We've hmm? given so this whole, this, uh, this whole podcast, this yeah. whole podcast. <laughs> Although, you know, you're in the top 5% of the over 3 million podcasts out there. Hey, I love that. I love that data point. Yeah. It's like move over, Smartless. Yeah. yeah. Or, or, or at least Scooch. I like yeah. to tell Smartless they copied us because we dropped first. Um, yeah, but they won't take our calls. They <laughs> won't yeah. take our calls. No, Jason never gets back to me either. Bateman, come on, man. It's because of that thing with his sister. But yeah. Oh, She'll I never forgive her. you. At the sunset so marquee. <laughs> She's so great. Um, yes. So Nick, yes. you kind of you kind of teased something. This is where I was going. I'm I'm looking. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, you, teased, you teased an idea, and I, I I can't push it too hard because you seem trepidatious. Yeah, we're not gonna push well, it. Okay. What so happened? you want to talk about? Well, do you want to talk about? <laughs> well, look, the statute of limitations has recently run out. Thank goodness uh, on Thank on uh, what it was we were doing. Um, so I'm 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 happy to talk about it. I have not spoken of it uh, really much at all. Um, so here goes. Okay. Uh, okay. And it's the only side hustle I've ever had that actually. Well, that's not true. It actually does kind of relate to what I do. So I moved to New York. Ogilvy had transferred me to the New York office from L.A. I was wondering how that happened. Okay. Yeah, they were really a great place in terms of. Um, nurturing who they thought, you know, company people. Uh, but I really didn't like 
what I was working on. It was, you know, it just, it wasn't thrilling me. Um, and I've been there a couple of months and I was, <laughs> I would stay late so I could sneak into my creative director's office and make long distance calls. Side hustle of its own, by the way. That. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, and promote my band and call radio stations, you know, in Irkutsk um, to see if we're getting plays. And, uh, and I noticed our ECD, who was a famous kind of Mad Men era guy, uh, also in terms of partying, uh, he was there too. And I saw this kid get off, this well-dressed outer borough looking kid in a leather coat, get off, you know, had a briefcase over his shoulder, head right to the ECD's office, door closes. And a couple of minutes later, it like pot smoke is pouring out from under the door. And I'm like, mm. you know, I'm an observant fellow. So mm -hmm. I did some math, I gathered up my stuff. And when this kid came out 10 minutes later, I got onto the elevator with him and struck up a conversation. And it turned out this kid, who we'll call Sophocles, um, <laughs> was, he ran one of the very first upscale uh, weed delivery services, oh, which does nice. not seem like a big deal now. But back then, no. it, was you know, deal. it was like the Popa Pot from downtown and all the hardcore band kids worked for him and, and it was scary and dangerous. But this was sort of a business that serviced um, agency creatives, network executives, Broadway actors, minor celebrities, pro athletes, stuff like that. It was a high-end delivery service even had a business card and it just said florists. Mm -hmm. and, um, there was another one called We Deliver. Uh, and so I was not making a lot of money. I needed more money. Mm -hmm. So I started delivering. I'd work at Ogilvy until about 6.30. And then somebody would drop off a backpack and a pager. And there were codes and stuff and a roll of quarters because... <laughs> You had to call from pay phones. Mm -hmm. I'd, put, I'd put on my rollerblades and my pool pads from my skateboarding days. And, <laughs> yeah. And I would go out and make deliveries. Um, for and get five tips. Well, uh, not tips as much as, um, I mean, I could, I could make a grand a night doing this. <gasps> Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pro marijuana. That's, I don't have a problem with it. Um, and it was crazy. And the stories, it's funny because there's a great show, it's no longer around, um, called High Maintenance. High Maintenance, yeah, yeah. on HBO. But yeah. also the the YouTube series before that, yeah. Yeah, that, that kid yeah. is amazing. And that show mm -hmm. is, there are some episodes that are just poetic. It's a beautiful show, but that was yeah. my life. And the random people and the random stories that you would just stumble into, like <laughs> one time I walked in to this you know, skated on the elevator, went up to the 28th floor and I walk in and it's all these giant Canadian dudes. And they're, you know, and I'm like, I'm like, well, how much do you want? And they're like, well, we want all of it, eh? You know, and, <laughs> you know, and it was uh, Mark Messier and a bunch of the Rangers. That's oh, amazing. yeah. Okay, yep. So, yeah, true. And it was like that. And it worked great for six or eight months. And then it kind of got a little uh, hinky. Um, mm -hmm. Some of the delivery guys started getting robbed or worked over. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, one guy got, I mean, you didn't want to get locked up and thrown in the tombs on a Friday night, especially in rollerblades, because you'd be in your socks until Monday. Mm -hmm. to see it. 
you know, a judge. Yeah. So I moved on from the delivery and I helped him create a bunch of um, clandestine grows because I knew a little bit about that, um, which was, that's a whole nother story. And then eventually I got out and he, Sophocles continued in the business until, um, uh, let's just say he's on the lamb. <laughs> to this day. Oh my God. Still at large, if you if Wow. Yeah, I have no idea where he is. But um, the last time I saw him, I think it was uh, at my wedding. That's oh. awesome. That's amazing. You know, so. Did he have a briefcase over his shoulder? I don't know, man, but he lambed out. He just, he took off and uh, it was a great guy. Um, I, and it was a great is... experience because it, it again, it's, it made me feel like I was a part of New York, even though I yeah. wasn't born there. Um, I got to meet all these characters. I didn't have to join a gym, you know, I'm yeah. skating all over Manhattan every single night. Did you and, ever hit the, uh, the rollerblading circle in the middle of Central Park on your way across? No. That wasn't there when I was making deliveries. Oh, okay. <laughs> I yeah. think you're so brave to do rollerblading the, through New York. <laughs> oh, I'd, I'd sketch off a bus to go all the way up 8th Avenue if That's I had. That's insane to me. Yeah. So I, I don't know how the timelines work out, but I could very easily uh, have been one of your customers. You could have been. You could have yeah. been. And I definitely my, had. Yeah. Well, that, the, I remember the last delivery I made because, you know, there's a certain amount of shame. I'm like, I don't want anyone to know I'm doing this. This is just for the money. This is, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. I'm not hurting anybody. And uh, I made a delivery and I walked in and it was all of, it was like a group of these rich a-holes from Adam's house at Harvard. Oh, that was us. No. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's why I quit. <laughs> and I walked in, they're like, oh, Nick Spooner's a weed guy. And I'm like, ah, oh, shit, I'm out. Mm -hmm. I can't have mm -hmm. this getting around. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, there are definitely, you know, looking back now, I think it's hilarious some of the things that I did. But like at the time in seeing people, it was like, oh, that's not how I want to be looked at or remembered or like with. You're out there it? spinning the sign. Yeah. And people mm -hmm. just are like, oh, and you're like, ah, I'm ashamed. I have to go. Trafficking aside, the headline really <laughs> is this is your third job and you're 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 doing what you can to survive and yeah. fuck what people think. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Fuck, it's fuck, true. What, fuck what people think until people until your colleagues think you're the weed guy. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah. And when I say that, I mean, except, you know. except for, except for me. Yeah. Well, you did say, and when you started uh, telling us about this, you said, you were said this, this had nothing to do with business. This was, but then you, then you kind of pivoted a little bit and said, but actually this, this does sort of fit in. How would you say that this, this job fit into the, the, uh, the, the structure of your actual career? Um, well, other than, you know, providing a lot of good fodder for character work, yeah. um, uh, you know, I made a few deliveries to certain creative directors with whom uh, I have worked. You That's know? amazing. It's okay. And that, well, while that didn't lead directly to work, years later, mm -hmm. you'd be on the set and the guy would be like, hey, uh, didn't you? Uh, and I'd be like, yes, yes I did. did. So now I got your number. And, uh, <laughs> You know what's so interesting to me is um, how everything seems like such a big deal and how dangerous it was. Yeah, I don't, I, it's it shouldn't be a big deal. Um, I you know I'd love to see Sophocles again. He could come home now maybe, but yeah, uh, I was gonna say why can't he come home? He's living his he best steal? life. Did he he's, steal York, money? He's he's good somewhere. New York State. Yeah. They're holding the grudge, I think. Yeah. Yeah. He's maybe the one he's in. 
He's in Portland and he just abandoned his car in the storm like everyone else. <laughs> I don't think yeah, he's in the <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. He's in Greece living the good life. That would be awesome. Yeah. yeah. He's he's back with the gods. He's in Canada. <laughs> um I you know, I could go on and on and perhaps I will, but I also want to be respectful of your time. Of your time, yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. You, you, um this was amazing. Us the You're amazing. Hour. I'm so I'm so glad that I got to meet you because Jason talks about you really honestly so often and so much and he's like oh I should call Nick Spooner and see if he wants to hang out maybe we can get lunch or something I mean like Jason really loved working with you and he's just been like your biggest fanboy ever since and it's very sweet thank you (laughs) yeah man I like to hear that I, I I like to have I mean I'm my career is entirely dependent upon the talent with whom I work especially especially the actors. And it's totally true. When I hire great actors, I look like a genius and I don't have to do much at all. Um, So I'm very particular about it. I try to make it really fun for the talent. So that's, you know, when I'm in Los Angeles, we'll, uh, we'll uh, schmai the schmai. We'll uh, schmai a little. I'll get get schmiggy. Where are you full time? You're not in LA full time? I'm New York adjacent. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the college I work for is New Jersey. I work for Montclair State University. Uh-huh. But um, in L.A., we have an L.A. abroad semester for our media students. That's L.A. So, abroad. Yeah, abroad, L.A. Yeah. abroad. Mm-hmm. So yeah. they're out here we're from so, Jersey. We're, they're separated by a dirt ocean. Yep, that's correct. Well, it's not, it's not supposed to matter where we live now. And I do like, for actor's sake, um, self-taping just for auditions, I think, is great. I yeah. really don't like remote callbacks yeah i don't know when that's coming back but i was always really sensitive to the wear and tear on the actors and so for auditions you know you'd be like hey man you know these are real people these are real people with real lives who have to worry about daycare and days off and sick days and schlepping two hours and traffic to callbacks and sitting in a room with 20 other people that look just like them and hearing everyone laugh in the room i mean it fucking blows Mm -hmm. And so babies in a stroller in the waiting room. Thank you for understanding that. (laughs) Yeah, I really very sensitive to it. So I appreciate it. You know, I, uh, I, you know, this just makes it all seem worth it. Yeah. Yeah. It does. She showed on Monday, made love on Tuesday. On Wednesday, she was there. We fought on Thursday, made up on Friday.
crazy, you think I'm crazy, so why'd you call me? 